Hello, welcome to Biz Without Frontiers. I'm here again with Neil. Hello. And Charles. Hello. And today we're in a twisted barrel uh, with a special guest, Richie. Hello. So uh, we're all uh, sat here enjoying a half of the uh, on a pretty, on a pretty biting morning. Yeah. <laughs> walking down in the snow. Yeah. Are well, you drinking the beast with the beast from the east or the mini beast? <laughs> yes. Yes. So you've got to yes. celebrate the beast of a beast. The return of the, the beast. beast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, sequel. Yeah. yeah. But um, drinking it here on cask, because, uh, yeah, you've just got some cask lines put in, haven't you, for the first time since the new tap room opened? We have indeed. So, yeah. It's first it's time ever in our history. Yeah, there you go. Good move, go. good move. Right, so, starting at the beginning, really, um, can you give us a bit of a history of, of Twisted Bar and how you started as a brewer um, and the whole thing, how, how, how it all kicked off, really? Oh, wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got an hour? I guess really, I got into beer when I was living abroad um, over in New Zealand. Uh, didn't really have many kind of generic lagers on tap there as such. Mm-hmm. It was more ales in New Zealand. So yeah. I got into drinking it there because it was the only option. Um, got back to the UK. All my friends had got into real ale in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, started doing the geeky things you do, brewery tours. Does it sound familiar now? Yep. yep doing yep. your own podcast, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah bringing a few bells. <laughs> um, we got into doing all of that, really. Um, one thing led to another with the podcast where we realised that we didn't know how to make beer. Um, so effectively sitting around and criticising people's beer when you've not got the first clue how to make it uh-huh. seemed a little bit rude of us. So we um, started doing it. <laughs> um, it was just, I guess, in a way, we started brewing to give more depth to the podcast. Yeah. As soon as we started brewing, that took over and we stopped doing the podcast. Um, so yeah. it kind of worked out that way around, really. Um, and from then on, it was just a case of... Um, just uh, from day one, we knew we didn't like following kits. We mm, found that yeah. quite boring. We loved making beer, but we hated doing kits. So we only did a couple of those. Extract to all grain? Uh, extract for, until we actually set up the brewery, we never did an all grain brew. Yeah. Uh, we were only doing extract recipes. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, really extract, you know, you can still get really good beer out of it. The only yeah. things you don't have that much control over is the depth of malt flavor and the color of the beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were still steeping grains and getting more of a kind of, but you're getting your processes locked down and getting that. Yeah, yeah. to be honest, like, a lot of brewing is getting your recipes right and the yeah. process itself should be repeatable as long yeah. as you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more time spent doing that, really, and doing beers for friends, weddings, stag do's, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and from there, that led on to us seeing what it would take to actually set up a commercial brewery, realised it was fairly straightforward. So how long ago was that? This all would have been around July 2013 um, that we started looking into it. Yeah. Um, I think by September we had all the application in and the company was set up and the bank account was set up and all that business. So at that point in time we ordered a bespoke kit from Homebrew Builder down in Bristol. Um, but this was when homebrew was really kicking off, so there was mm. quite a bit of a lead time. I think it was around about eight weeks or something like that. Mm. Um, so I remember first week of December, Chris and I took the day off work to drive down to Bristol, pick up the kit. And then it was a case of, right, we've got to install this in Chris's garage. <laughs> Are we going to blow his electrics? Yeah. Don't know. Um, so a few upgrades for his electrics, getting a stand built um, by Chris's partner's dad, who's luckily a fabricator. Um, so he constructed the stand that's right just behind you yeah, there, actually. Um, so he did that for us, um, which would make the brewing a little bit easier because we were just doing all gravity. We didn't bother with pumps and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we had it all in place and ready to start by New Year's Eve 2013. And that was our first commercial brew as such because we'd had the permission to start brewing from the revenue on the 1st of December 2013. Um, so yeah, and it all went from there really, I guess. That's what, yeah. what was the first one you did then? What was the it was inspired. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, it went totally wrong our first ever all grain <laughs> brew. Um, yeah, we didn't get the sparge right. Um, and it, yeah, it was dubbed the fail ale rather than the pale <laughs> right. um, But we gave it to a friend and he enjoyed it. So, <laughs> so of course, back then, that was, um, I tend to forget, obviously, you were brewing in a garage back then. Mm. So, um, and just, just bottling, yeah? 
point? Yeah, just bottling. We didn't do any keg or cask at all, really, until... Oh, we did some corny kegs for, like, parties and weddings and things, yeah. but we never did any kegging until we moved commercial in May 2014. So. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, going back to kind of, like, your beginnings of, of your interest in beer and stuff like that did you have like a gateway beer that inspired you to brew in the first place a lot of people have some kind of beer they have that eureka moment there yeah pretty much um everything the podcast the brewer everything wouldn't have existed without sarah hughes dark ruby mild because um, yeah. we used to sit down the craven arms on craven street i three of them on a friday night come up with all these grand great ideas yeah, yeah. After the third one, you wouldn't really remember anything and you'd wake up in the morning as if someone had just kind of, you know, rehypnolled you, you for the night, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah. that yeah. stuff was so potent. Um, yeah. And you wake up the next day thinking, what did we do? Yeah. Um, oh, we set up a podcast. Oh, we set up a brewery. So yeah. <laughs> it kind of all stemmed from that one beer, really. Um, that was our go-to beer. We were really sad when Craven Street changed hands and it stopped being on permanent rotation. Mm. There, so... Yeah, disappointing. Yeah, I was, I was kind of expecting you to kind of say an, maybe an American style beer or something like that. Or, or was there something that kind of also like got you into kind of like brewing the kind of beers that you do, you know, like well, extremely well hopped beers and stuff like that? Uh, I don't know. In terms of brewing ever increasingly more hopped beers, yeah. that's purely the way the market's going more than anything. Mm. Um, the demand's there, isn't it? Yeah. You go out, you drink them. They may not be your favourite style of beer, but people want to buy them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've not really got a choice sometimes. You've got to be market-led. If you're not, then mm-hmm. um, you're just not going to really keep up with things. The craft beer world moves so quickly. So trends come and go so oh, quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, a year, two years ago, would we all think that we were drinking fruit juice you know yeah, just, yeah, exactly. wouldn't happen would it yeah um so you've got to keep up with stuff like that and now you've got what belgian yeast neepers are all over the place coming through now and all variations on the variations, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i've got one in the tank that's similar to that you know saison yeast in a mm-hmm. kind of session ipa basically yeah, yeah. we've dabbled with it quite a lot over the years using belgian yeast for hoppy stuff and it is suddenly becoming cool now which is like yeah we've yeah. already done yeah, this we know what we're doing here yeah, yeah cool <laughs> um so yeah, Fargo Village, obviously here in, in Coventry, is a great location for the brewery. Um, was this actually your first choice when looking for a commercial premises when you made that move up? It was in the sense that um, Fargo opening accelerated any of our plans right. um, because we only launched 29th of March 2014. Fargo opened in September 2014. And it was around about July time when uh, Birmingham Beer Bash was it uh-huh. second year, I think. Mm. For the for the first year, we went down with a podcast and interviewed all the organisers and things. And the second year, we'd set up the brewery and asked us to come and do tasting sessions in you know that room that looked like a ship or something. Like there was a it had a big heavy door that you pulled open. I've not been before actually. No. I must admit, no, there was like a room that was themed around a ship or something like that. And, yeah. and they did tasting sessions in there. There was us and Sacra Brew and um, a few other folks doing tasting sessions. Um, but as part of us being there. Um, We'd kind of got a little bit of traction, like a little bit of press about us because we were the smallest commercial brewery in the UK at that point. And um, so Telegraph and people like that were picking up on it and reading yeah. stories about us. So the radio had asked us to go on and talk about our first festival appearance. Mm. Um, but as part of doing that, Chris heard the jingle on the radio for Fargo driving to the radio station. Right. And that was when he came down afterwards because he thought, oh, that could be you know, something interesting. So we've been looking at industrial units and things like that yeah. around Coventry, which there's a lot, right just outside the city centre as well, down by um, Halfords and places like that on Longford yeah. Road. There's a lot of good-sized units there that would have been perfect. Um, and we just never thought a brewery tap could work in Coventry city centre full stop. Because it, it seems like a natural progression, isn't it, to find an industrial unit, you know, mm. and grow out of there. But so you've, you've gone that slightly different route and chosen somewhere like yeah I think at that point in time making the decision to have the tap house from the start was the right decision yeah. um, because in terms of a young business and having cash flow and stuff like that it was fantastic for direct the direct sales and everything yeah because yeah. I mean we were selling like probably two thirds three quarters of what we were producing straight through the tap house from the off um, and it was only when we started making a push to get our beers distributed on a wider basis nationally that that kind of went to about 50-50 over time um, but it's still a lot for a British brewery to be selling through its own tap house it's still 
one of the highest so percentages. So where are you at now then, ratio-wise, with what's coming I haven't in? looked since we moved in here, to be honest. The, the trade demand got so high that it pushed it down to around only a third going through our own tap house by the time we were kind of moving to the bigger unit. Yeah. Um, since we've been in here, I genuinely don't know. I think it's been about 50-50, but because we're open more often with a bigger tap good, house and we can good, serve more people. Pretty, it's still very high, yeah. I remember reading comments, I think, by Paul Jones from Cloudwater, oh, like, yeah. no UK brewery will ever sell more than 10% of its beer yeah. in its own tap yeah. room. And I was sitting there thinking, no, we, we do that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the number of times we've been here, certainly in January, it was packed. Yeah. Yeah. First week of January. First week of January was crazy. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And I think uh, I was at a beer festival at the weekend with um, Tap Social in Oxford, mm-hmm. and they were selling, they sell about 80% of their volume through wow. their own tap room. And they've got the same size kit as us, so um, there are breweries doing it. Um, and for me, it's a more long-term model because you're not as kind of you're not as exposed to the whims of the industry and the, mm-hmm. the way people's tastes change so much. Because you've already got essentially regulars in a pub, yeah, hundreds yeah. of people that come to your pub every week, and they're always going to want sinequinon because that's their beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So. Absolutely. In a way, like you can be less flexible because you've got to still be producing the beers that your regulars want. Yeah. Um, but that's the beauty of expanding. You can do a greater range now. And yeah. kind of, um, you've got that capability to do the old regulars as well as new beers all the time. I so. can't remember what the question was, actually. I, was <laughs> I think I went <laughs> off on a tangent. Like location for the It's a great location. So I, mean, I, love, yeah. I love coming here. Just the variety of shops and the, the, feel, the feel to it. Very kind of bohemian I think I'm getting more of that feeling it's a, uh, it's a nice weather place but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, can get a bit cold out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true um, what, what are the biggest sort of issues you've had to overcome really so far has there been any kind of major hiccups along the way or has everything gone plain sailing um, no actually I'm, I'm someone who never actually kind of looks back. I'm a very positive and looking forward kind yeah, of person, yeah. so yeah. I tend to forget about hiccups. Um, Focus on the good stuff. There's obviously nothing yeah. that springs to mind then the instantly of, of, you know... No, there's not been any major disasters as such. No, I think I've only ever chucked away about two batches of beer, and one of them was because of an equipment fault. Um, the heat dump on the fermenter stopped working, so it fermented too high. Mm-hmm. The other batch was a kettle sour, and it just wasn't getting to the right pH, so we left it a bit longer, and it just ended up getting some funky mould on it, so I chucked that away. Um, but again, like going back to that, what I was saying earlier about getting your recipe right, and yeah. we've got a brewer here that's fantastic. You know, Carl can produce any recipe you give to him. He can produce really good beers on this kit. He knows it yeah. back to front. So the bearded one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when you've got a great brewer who can produce the wort you want, then yeah. you're not generally going to be chucking beer away. Um, and that's just about keeping your processes consistent yeah. and learning yeah. from your recipes as you go along. But yeah. I'd look back and say. Yeah, God, there's so many of the beers we've done that I'd never want to rebrew again. But yeah. there was nothing wrong with it. It was a good beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I just personally wouldn't want to make it again. Yeah. So I guess that's just your development as a brewer, I guess. And as yeah. a brewery, you kind of learn what you're good at and what works over time. Oh. And what styles are just too bloody hard and not to bother again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so. Have you found it difficult being a brewery that, until recently, has been mainly packaging into key keg? in a local area that is, is deeply traditional? Has that hindered progress Yeah, definitely, because um, there's demand for our beers locally and there's literally nowhere to sell it to locally. Yeah. Um, Birmingham's great now, you know, there's dozens dozens of places in Birmingham that have tap lines, uh, for kegs, sorry. Yeah. Um, but you're looking around Coventry, Warwick, Leamington. It's a slow um, growth, isn't it? Yeah. Super slow. slow, yeah. I think you're starting to see it, aren't you? Yeah. Like, not as quick as you'd think. No. For some reason, I don't. I don't know what that reason is. But. There's things changing though. I mean, one of our locals, the old post office, now two keg lines in now. I know it's like yeah, they just yeah. put the second one in last week. Yeah, didn't they? Like, oh, um, wow. and Happy then days. I think yeah. Um, also, Winsby's um, as well has got a keg line, and Square Warwick, that was the sort of wine place in the market squares, get the keg line as well. So very slowly, but it's, it's green changing. shoes, green shoes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So. So sort of things are changing, but I mean, you're putting more into cast now anyway since you moved to here, aren't you? So Yeah, I mean, in terms of the keg, I guess what the lack of keg market locally made us do was look nationally and see mm. where we can get our beers to, and I think that has helped us. Um, 
because you don't see a lot of Midlands breweries getting national attention because they're doing cask or whatever and they can sell it in the local market there's no reason for them to go further afield yeah. so I think because we've ploughed more time and attention into cultivating customers across the country I think that's you, raised our profile you distribute up to in Scotland a bit don't you as well is that right? uh, no we sent the load up to Scotland a couple of years ago but um, other than that it's been one off events, events like, so right. yeah, yeah we're hoping to we're going back there for a um, beer festival beginning of July West End Beer Festival in Glasgow so yeah. Um, was it Glasgow you were up in a few weeks back? Was it a t- tap takeover? Yeah, we did a tap takeover at Crossing the Rubicon, a great bar in the west end of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And we've done one at Brewdog Edinburgh last year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with Scotland, like there's, there's a couple of key distributors that you need to be with there. Really? Um, but they're very selective, you know, they only stock the best of the best, so you've got to hope one day they'll... Yeah. put you in that bracket really yeah. I guess so, yeah. so I mean it's, it's interesting what you say kind of like you've pushed further afield because of the sort of local situation and, and that is very true in as much as you know we've been down in London drinking and seen your beers on in like you know Draft House or um, you know Craft Beer Company that was it um, stuff like that which is, is great to see and I guess it gets the name out just that bit further and you get social media coverage which obviously you're very savvy on the social media side of things as well you know so I think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of thing because most of the other local breweries, certainly around here, are kind of like you say, kind of like, well, we just, why go further afield when we can just sell to the, the local market? market? Yeah, sort yeah. of thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what styles of beer have, have been your favourites of obviously what you've brewed over the last few years and, and which ones would you like to tackle that you haven't tackled yet? Um, lager's one that always eludes me. Um, can never... Never seen, I've made one good lager in my life that I'd love to go back and make. Mm. Uh, as a Nelson Sovan and Cascade uh, Pilsner. I mean, that was gorgeous. <laughs> but um, I've not, um, so that's one style I'd like to look at. In terms of styles that we make that I enjoy making, um, that I want to do more of, um, porters and wheat beers are styles that yeah, I like, yeah. um, and I don't think there's many of them out there. Um, the only problem with those types of beer is they don't sell very well, that's the only thing. So right, yeah. You can't make loads of them because you know that they'll sit in your cellar kind of thing. Yeah. But again, that's the beauty of having your own tap house is that you can just sell it through there. Yeah, um, absolutely. We've only really started dabbling in kettle sours, um, so we'd like to do more of those. Um, and then in terms of, like, because we're new to can market, we've been focusing on kind of hoppy, juicy pails for that, yeah. but I'd like to start putting different beers into can as well. Yeah, so, so maybe a pills or a lager or something like that. With that. An IPL Possibly, maybe. one day. Yeah. I don't like IPLs, it's, it's a stupid style of beer. I don't know why anybody <laughs> makes it. Yeah, I've not enjoyed it. I've just divided opinion. Everyone I have just smells like farts, they're horrible. <laughs> I don't, don't understand why people make them, they're disgusting beers. Um, but, you know, just a, a lightly, a more interesting hop in a regular yeah. pills is nice, but I do not get the point of hopping the shit out of a lager. It's completely pointless. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wait for the day when we do an IPL. <laughs> well, this yeah. come back. We'll, play this, we'll play this back at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, we love all the Raptin stuff. I mean, the stuff you've been doing there, the single hop. Yeah, I mean, the, the Raptin stunning. kind of thing. Yeah, they've been going down well so far, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a... Um, not part of the core range, but obviously, do you foresee that actually becoming part of the core range? I'm saying that because I hope it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think we'll stop making them. Yeah. Um, they're popular. Um, I like drinking them. The latest one out next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. What, what, what is the latest one? Galaxy. It's just it's juice. I've not <laughs> brewed with that hop in years. Yeah. I just yeah. forgot how pungent and dank and kind yeah. of passion fruity it is. It's yeah. just ridiculous. Had a can on Thursday night and oh, oh my god, it's just blown me away. It yeah. was so nice. Wow. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one, but then. I feel like an idiot because I said that about the Simcoe one. I was like, oh my God, I love this one. This is amazing. <laughs> this is the best it's ever going to be. And then the next one's kind of blown it out of the water completely. And the artwork's um, quite distinctive on, on those cans, aren't they? Mm. So you, you've got someone that, that does the artwork from outside or is it in, internal? No, it's just Chris. Um, Chris yeah. and I, we kind of come up with the ideas and do them. Um, Chris has been working a lot on his kind of um, computer skills in terms of doing artwork and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's something he's been working on, you know, the last few years, really. Um, just 
just so we can if we've got a simpler design in my head yeah. I can talk to Chris and he can say yes or no or whether he can do it or not um, it's quite distinctive isn't it it's quite a distinctive pattern and is it going to be similar yeah. on the next the next one next iteration or? yeah well I can show you it if you want in the moment it's um, cool. we're using um, a member of our bar team studying fine art at university so she's doing some of the artwork for us now um, although she's quite busy now with her final projects and stuff like that, so yeah. might have to wait a few months to do some more. Um, but yeah, we're kind of playing with the owls and the doves and things like that, just to create eye-catching designs on that. Yeah. Um, but then I'll show you an example of the latest one we've done. The Reptin series essentially is obviously based around Twin Peaks, like about 98% of our beers are. Um, but the background is the plastic sheeting that Laura Palmer was found in. Um, it's not obvious from looking at the can, but you can kind of see little creases and things here or there. So Chris managed to get the kind of plastic sheeting picture that Laura Palmer was found in on the beach. Um, and we just overlay different interpretations of owls or doves. Like doves are the symbol of Coventry, City of Peace and Reconciliation. Or we use owls, which are a symbol from Twin Peaks. So this is an, a new one, a new version of an owl that um, Tammy's done for us. And then this is an example of the kind of artwork Tammy can wow. produce for us. So looking for like wraparound art pieces that yeah. are themed in with the beer itself. That stands out. Brilliant, um, beautiful. So, because ever since we kind of named this beer Beverly Crusher that we did with Glass House back in November time, I think it was, I've had this image of a can in my head since then. Yeah. Because um, Beverly Crusher's got like you know bright orange hair and it's an orange that's pale of her hair being like cur in curlers, but the curlers are oranges and oh, things like that. Right. So I've asked Tammy to produce this piece of art for us, and she's done a great job. Stunning, that was a great um, job. So I think that kind of thing will stand out on a shelf, and I'm hoping to work with Tammy more to do more designs like that in future. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the thing you have with the cans. You've got so much more space to produce art and have a full wraparound label on yeah, them. And totally. In essence, uh, your branding is becoming more and more important. You've got to stand out. You know, There's yeah. over 2,000 breweries in the country now. What's in the can is the most important thing, but getting the customer to buy it is also one of the big important things as well. And you can't overlook that. It seems cynical at first, and it's stuff I would have railed against when I first started out. But mm. It does work. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker. I'll, I'll, I'll look at the shelves and go, what is that? I'm, I don't care. I'm having that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm off to a flame. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Absolutely. But that's a great design. That's where you could put you know, artwork up or to get a print on even. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, are, we, are, we will be decorating the tap house soon with um, pieces of art from all the labels and stuff that we've done. It's been on our to-do list for a long time, but we're finally getting to that point now where we can start thinking about things like decorating the tap house and yeah, yeah, getting the kitchen up and running, getting the cask lines in. We've finally achieved that. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, so um, has, has being a vegan brewery made you have to work outside of the box when brewing certain beer styles and stuff like that? Yeah, certainly. You have you. to get more creative when you approach um, styles that are known to contain things like lactose, for yep. example. Um, so you have to be very creative to get around those limitations. Um, but that's something I see as a challenge. Quite proud of the amount of beers we've done now, where people have checked them in, going, "I'm loving the lactose in this beer." Yeah, and yeah. just thinking, yeah. "Ain't no lactose yeah. in that beer." Um, we've had it about some of our sours, about our strong mild that we do, yeah. about some stouts that we've done. We've had it on feedback on some of our nipers, all saying they think there's lactose in it. Right. But it's all just to do with kind of getting your mash temperatures right, building the body of the beer, yeah. using high proportion of oats. So would you, so would you mash in quite high with those, those neepers or...? Uh, with the neepers we tend to mash higher than I think most other people are doing, but that's purely because this new yeast strain a lot of people are uh -huh. working with we've found performs better at, us, at a higher mash temp in terms of getting the body in the final beer. Mm -hmm. For the New England style pails that we do, we're still mashing lower because pale ale, you know, body isn't as important as I feel in a neeper. For me, body defines the style. Mm -hmm. Well, body and water treatment, um, kind of softness and the mouthfeel, they're so key to that style. And if you get your mash temp wrong on a neeper, particularly with this yeast, you're just going to end up with a drier, kind of thinner bodied beer, really. Um, and that's just not to style. I've tried style, quite yeah. a few interpretations of that style that are too thin and just it doesn't work, personally, I don't think. Um, so you've now got two cask 
is on cast, two cast lines on in the tap house, along with the, the multitude of keg lines that you've got here. Um, which which of your range do you think feels works best in the cask format? Um, in cask, I do like our darker beers on cask. Um, I love our oatmeal pale inspired on cask. I think it really shines on cask. Um, and I don't know, like to be honest, because. All the cask we've ever done normally goes elsewhere. We yeah. don't get to know as much what mm. tastes nice on cask. Um, yeah. And that's going to be the interesting thing about having the cask lines in here now. We can do silly things like Imperial Stouts and Nipahs and do a cask of it. Yeah. And put them on the bar and try them and see what they're like. Mm. I did try... Um, the first kind of Nipah style beer we did was a collaboration with 8Arch last year called Kachirho. Oh, um, God, I love that beer. And we did actually do one cask of that for an event and I got to try it and it was phenomenal. Yeah. I've never had Nipahs on cask since or before because I think they're just too expensive for that yeah. market. But yeah. God, they taste good on cask. Right? That's, that's interesting, yeah, because as you say, no one's going to take a chance on something like that. It could probably shift quite slowly and you've got the, the real freedom now to put crazy stuff on, on, on cask in here and... Uh, and sort of see how it sells. And obviously you've got full control over cask kind of quality as mm. well, which, you know, like a lot of people say, once that cask goes out into the wide world, you, you don't really have any clue as to how it's going to finish yeah. up. So you've got oh, We're doing um, Brewing Wrapped in Citra again next week for oh. cake this time. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to do a cask for the tap house. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, Pup and Duckling and Solly Hall, I think we're going to do a cask for them as well. Because if we do like really stupid beers, they're willing to kind of take it on. Um, yep. They've taken our Imperial Stout on cask and stuff like that before. And get the throughput as well that's needed. Yeah, there's a really busy like micro pub and they've got customers that really like big, bold beers. Yeah. Um, so they're not scared about putting them no. on now. They've been testing the market with it. I wouldn't do it and go and give it to you know, any old pub because yeah. no. they'd be chucking two thirds of it away and it'd cost them a lot of money and you wouldn't want your customer to go through that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's stuff like that we can now do in the tap house, and it's another reason for people to come at the end of the day, isn't it? Like, oh my god, yeah. you know, I can only try that in that one place that one time, exactly. And that's nectar yeah. to the beer geeks of the world, isn't it? So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Are you tempted to do any barrel aging as well? Any interesting whiskey cask, rum cask, these sort of things? Or? Um, possibly, but I think that's much further down the line. Yeah. We've got to kind of get bedded in here and get up to capacity here, and then having the kind of uh, spare time and money to have an extra storage facility I think for something like that mm -hmm. um, I don't think it would be suitable to do it here no um, yeah not quite enough space I know you look around I think there's a lot of space but <laughs> yeah. there ain't yeah. <laughs> is the old unit being used again is that, is that empty or I think there's plans to turn it into artist studios as oh, far as I know yeah. um, but that's been the last I heard I think so yeah yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you've done quite a few collabs over the last couple of years. Um, is uh, well, which of those are your favourite, and is there anyone in particular you'd like to do another one with? Um, our favourite collab ever, mine was Tongo was my favourite that we did with Black um, with Blackjack. All right, love that beer. Belgian yeast and a very very hoppy beer. Oh yep. God, yep. <laughs> just can't beat that combination. Um, yeah. So yeah, I loved that beer. Um, we've done a lot of them. Um, they've all been great learning curves because it's normally a style of beer we haven't done before. Yeah. Um, something we can learn from the experience. Um, we just brewed a Masterns actually last week, so looking forward to the return leg of that. That's going to be interesting in a couple of weeks' time. Um, one of the ones I'm really excited about coming up is Black Iris, so we're going to their place in May. Can't wait to work with those guys. I yeah, love their not beer. Them, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they've been doing some really good stuff. They've been yeah, they make fantastic coffee beer and I just can't wait to go and brew with them. Um, it was great brewing with Neon Raptor as well, learned a lot of stuff from Adam, he's a fantastic mm. brewer. Mm. Um, he's such a kind of technical guy because he comes from an engineering background and so it's interesting working with someone who approaches beer in a different way to you, um, so that was a lot of fun. I'm uh, going to be brewing with Free Hills as well soon from Northamptonshire, um, get on really well with Jamie there, so looking forward to working with him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of who I'd like to work with, yeah, don't mind too much really. And I'll work with anybody as long as we learn something from it and have okay. fun at the same time. Well, you've, you've brought your beer in that you brewed recently, Simon. So <laughs> 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 I think there's a bit of time to graduate to anything other than that. Yeah. Um, so we are brewing with uh, RK beers as well at the bar in Huddersfield next week. So that's oh, going to yeah. be fun. Doing a really kind of fruity, hazy session IPA. So that would be an interesting one to brew. Probably. 
And I think we're going to be getting together with Ridgeside as well in the next few months to brew as well, who've been kind of undergoing a big change direction since mm. Josh took over there as the kind of brewery manager. So that'll be a fun one as well. Any, any sort of on, on your hit list who you'd like to, to kind of work with at all? I don't know really. Um, <laughs> it's it's whoever. Any yeah. out there? Office open. Yeah. <laughs> Drop us an email. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, um, I don't think there's like kind of. Everyone does such different things, don't they? I mean, if you could like kind of pick the two breweries in the country, I would tear my arm off to work mm. with. It'd be Buxton or Brew by Numbers, um, mm. but only because. I am just so impressed with the range and diversity yeah, of the yeah. beers that they brew. Yeah. For me, they're the leading brewers in the country because they can nail any style. Yeah. Yeah. And they produce such good quality, consistent beer all year round. So yeah, that would blow my mind to work with them. But yeah, Buxton don't do collabs. <laughs> and I don't think Brew by Numbers do many collabs either. So yeah. probably never going to happen. But there you go. Brew by Numbers have gone with Hobson's recently. Yeah, yeah that was such a mosaic. And that was a cask beer, wasn't it? Was it was cask and it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was such an unusual one, that one. Yeah, yeah it surprised me, actually. Yeah, I'm used well. to drinking Hobson's Mild somewhere and, and then find out they're working with Brew by Numbers. It's yeah. a bit of a shock, that yeah. was. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, we've kind of touched on this a bit already, actually, about artwork and stuff like that uh, but what about the, the naming of, of beers and stuff because you've got some crazy names for your beers um, where, where does all this come, come from? Um, <laughs> my brain I guess <laughs> crazy mind uh, <laughs> a kind of uh, a lot of my kind of passion in life has always been about TV film stuff like that sci-fi fantasy horror stuff um, so I just like incorporating that into what I do um, because you know they were my passions before I found beer in my yeah. life um, and sometimes the whole beer style and recipe is based around I want to make a beer about this sci-fi reference or yeah. this yeah. kind of right, film reference right. so a lot of times the name comes first and the beer is built around the name um, <laughs> so yeah it tends to be like that at the moment just because Twin Peaks came back um, and I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Most of the beer names tend to be around Twin Peaks-ish recently. Yeah. So, the Raptin series, Nido, Blue Rose, the Great Wentz, a, um, a Twin Peaks beer, Saison from Another Place as a Twin Peaks beer. The mild we've just had on cask. The Beast of Medicine's Mild was named by my wife, Jenny. Yes. Um, that was based on Beast of the Southern Wild, that movie that came out American indie movie about five years ago or something like that. Um, what else? named after a Father Ted reference? Yes, Holiday 95, California. Yeah. There we go. In the glass. Um, Karen There's so many like Twin Peaks beers, I forget which ones are which. Um, I think we'll be doing a Fraser-themed beer soon, so that'll be the second time we've done a Fraser-themed one. Um, beneath the Shelter, so I'm looking forward to that one. Um, but yeah, they are just mainly references, really. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. fun when people get the reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, have any Twin Peaks geeks been in touch with about any of the references? The most interesting thing was Nido, um, because the actress that plays Nido in the new Twin Peaks got in touch with us on Twitter and was just like, oh my god, this beer is named after me and my <laughs> oh, wow. character. I want yeah. to drink it. Yeah. Um, so, I gave her the. Um, kind of name of a pub in Tokyo that stocks our beers and just said well we've dropped some samples there they might still have them yeah. um, but I'm waiting to hear if, you, if she's had a chance in to go and uh, to go and try her beer yet yeah. Um, but yeah that was one of the most interesting things that came out of her a beer name. <laughs> you don't yeah. think that's ever going to happen, really? But yeah. I wonder if um, Gates McFadden will get in touch when we release <laughs> Beverly Crusher. <laughs> it could happen. Yeah. Um, now you've moved into canning for, for some of the range. Is, how's that gone? Has that gone smoothly? Yeah, I mean it, it was a bit of a shot in the dark because we're can conditioning, um, and not many people are doing that. <coughs> so we didn't quite know what to expect or how the beers will come out. Four forties. Yeah, all 440s that we're doing, um, we'll be sticking to that um, size indefinitely. Um, with no plans to do any other sizes at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's gone down well. I mean, we've done four canning runs now, I think. Um, and they shift a hell of a lot quicker than bottles too, so from a financial point of view, they're a lot better. Um, in terms of the styles of beer, it's forcing us to kind of do styles that are quite new to us like these modern juicy pails um, 
because you've really got to understand your market um, and that is the can market needs that kind of beer really in order to kind of get accepted and get out there so that's why we've kind of led with those but then I mean our first canning runs involved a Hefeweizen and a dry hop sour they're not kind of beers you normally find in cans Mm -hmm. and they will be the core beers that we do which will be the Session IPA the Hefeweizen the dry hop sour and the New England Pale Um, so we'll always be doing those they'll be available most of the year but it gives us a lot of time to experiment and try other things the Repton series has been really popular and got great feedback so we'll be carrying that on Mm -hmm. Um, just because people love that style of beer at the moment but Nipahs could fall out of favour next month and then Surely not. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Surely not. I think we can flog that one for another year. Can't yeah, we, at least. At least. Uh, yeah. I mean, talking of that, you know, trends and stuff like that, do, do you kind of feel that it's it's something that you kind of have to follow? That's like, this is becoming a big thing now, we, we should try that? Or do you like the styles yourself anyway? You know? I think you've got to strike the right balance between wanting to either create or follow trends, but also brew what you want to brew. Um, There's got to be an acceptance as well that this kind of FOMO culture is going to die down at some point and people are going to want just good session beers with a good reputation that are consistent and well made. And that's where things like a Session IPA and a Hethlites and things like that come in, you know, they're, they're classic styles, they've been around, well, Session IPAs are actually still quite new, aren't they, really? <laughs> yeah. But it feels like a classic style. At the end of the day, it's just a hobby bitter, isn't it? So um, I think you've got to have that recognition that there are certain types of beer that people are going to want to drink forever. Yeah. That things like Nipahs and mad fruity sours and things and getting fresh as well which mm. seems to be the, the growing trend is getting things fresh and fresher and fresh 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 everything fresh yeah. straight, straight out mad about fresh. <laughs> straight out of the tank yeah. yeah so I wouldn't ever want to be completely market led because mm-hmm. then what are you doing really you're just mm. kind of producing beer for the Instagram crowd and mm. you've got to recognise that that's a niche part of your customer base and the hundreds or thousands of people that come to my bar every week couldn't care less about nipahs or fruity sours or things like that. They just want a good stout good or clean, a good, good pale. Yeah. 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 So. Actually, that's an interesting point, actually, of, of the sort of... Obviously, you sell a lot of stuff here in the tap room. It's obviously not just beer geeks that come in here. Is, is it kind of just used as a local by a lot of people in Coventry? Yeah, I mean, most of our customer base is just locals, you know. Yeah. We've got a big catchment area around us, and there's not actually that many pubs around here either. So, yeah. so that does work in our favour, really. Um, there's a heavy population in this area and not a lot of competition. Um, won't be that way forever. Um, but it does work well for us, and, you know, there are, you know, you know your customer base. There are certain people that come in for a particular beer every week. But then there are customers that are kind of more that niche that are coming in for that new beer to try it. Yeah. Or they're coming in for that new guest you've got on. You know, that, Or they're coming in just because the cans have been released that day. You know, But they're a very, very minor niche part of your customer base. Right. And you cannot let your whole strategy and direction as a business be geared around that niche. It's just the wrong way to go about things. And any brewery doing that is going to fail very quickly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's difficult when, when you kind of are a little bit, you know, you read a lot of stuff on social media you're kind of a little bit in a beer bubble and you you kind of envisage that like you know people are coming to a tap room like this because as you say it's like oh those cans have been released you know there's there's probably not a queue going down Gosford Street is there for people <laughs> not a queue at all <laughs> <laughs> um, I can count on one hand the number of beer geeks that crazy in Coventry that come in just because yeah. there's a can being released that day you know yeah. so, there's not many of them <laughs> yeah that aspect hasn't changed quite yet that's what yeah. I like about Coventry to be honest yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people um, just like a good session beer and they're not fussy fussy foaming at the mouth about the latest juicy pale yeah. um, so obviously there's a lot of talk in the industry at the moment about things needing to change in respect to um, branding and stuff like that sexism in beer and pump clips and this that and the other do, do you think that there needs to be massive changes in going forward to kind of you know make things a bit more diverse and inclusive that kind of thing um yes you know I kind of 
you go to most tap rooms and it's going to be 99% white men of a certain age, isn't it? You know, yeah. that's what I kind of like about our tap house. We've set out from the start to encourage everyone to come here yeah, yeah. by having a broad range of beers, by having non-gendered toilets, um, by not tolerating any kind of laddish or loutish behaviour in here. You know, you get chucked out if you act like that. Um, you know, if anybody is making comments that are, you know, not welcome, then they'll yeah. get told as such, you know, say that again, you're out. Yeah. Um, so we're, but I think we're way ahead of the crowd on that. I um, yeah. agree. That's yeah. things of what we said. We've always seen that progressive compared to. Yeah, it comes. It stems from you know the people behind the business. That's their viewpoint on life. Um, we're not kind of, I guess, what you say, that traditional old school mindset or anything. Yeah. We're all kind of the people that have kind of gathered our views over time and we know what we believe in and people would call us left-leaning you know political at heart but we don't try and portray that as a business but we'll portray it over you know a site like this that we have control over we don't expect to have to put up with that kind of behavior here it doesn't belong in modern society anymore it's being pushed to the margins and that's causing grey societal unrest at the moment which you know does create problems um but the beer industry's got to kind of stop just saying it's not our problem, it's not our problem. And that's the burying the head in the sand thing that gets on my nerves. You know, it, it is your problem. Yeah. You should be tackling this. You should be doing something about it. Yeah. The fact that pump clips like that still exist, you know, they're heavily sexualized, mainly around the female form, it's just tragic, you know. Yeah. Yeah myself I don't get it I just feel sorry for them because it's just like <laughs> what is wrong with you you know yeah. can you not sell your beer any other way than with a busty woman on the clip it's yeah. ridiculous but that's I'm not everybody you know so it, it's a tough one changing there's a lot of you know the stuff that's been happening in social media even over the last few months now indicates that things are moving forward a little bit which is, is brilliant so I think people are less afraid to actually call it out people yeah. are actually standing up to it now yeah they might have let it slide before I've noticed that a lot and there's been positive moves I think isn't somebody gonna is it camera or Seba or someone is not Cibre gonna let sexist yeah. into yeah. their festivals or they're gonna be a membership code of practice by Seba or something like yeah. that yeah that's been mentioned too but I think if organisations like camera and Seba take a stand on it that are more closely aligned to the traditional kind of beer producers where I think that attitude is more pervasive than craft beer for example Um, then I think that would make a big difference um, because those organisations have a lot of sway in that sphere Um, whereas you couldn't really say Camera or Siba have even an iota of sway in the craft beer world you know Craft Beer World positively shuns those organisations. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, yeah. speaking of camera, they're here for the AGM next month in uh, the yes, university. Did you expect? Uh, have you been in touch with them at all? Or uh, we're expecting a very busy time, yeah. We've got the volunteer social here on the Thursday before the AGM. I think they're bringing around two, three hundred people down, so that's oh, going to be yeah. a bit of an insane evening. Um, I think a lot of the um, kind of management committees and that are coming down on the Friday for brewery tours. Yep. They've invited us to do a key keg bar at the AGM at Warwick Uni all weekend. So um, it's going to be interesting um, to see how the beer goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, key keg, they've been a welcome, welcome to key keg for years now, but from what I understand the higher echelons aren't as welcoming as the membership and that's what creates some friction but I see that changing there's going to be some massive choices made at this AGM so it's going to be very interesting to be there for these massive choices being made I'm looking forward to casting my vote (laughs) as as being the only camera member of the podcast team there you go so yeah in terms of other stuff that that goes on here in in the tap room obviously you run a homebrew club uh, you do quiz nights, and um, and also is it a yearly Father Ted evening? Um, how did this yes. come about? Um, when we first started out, we wanted to do theme nights to celebrate some of our passions and share them with people. Um, 
and we kind of we still do them now and then it's just we haven't had time to put together a proper events calendar since we moved into the new space um, so you'll see the return of more of those kind of theme events soon um, but Father Teddy is the one that has stayed you know we still do it every year yeah. um, because basically um, Fargo's birthday is every September so we do Father Ted Day every September as well right. um, we're still plugging away and trying to get someone from Father Ted to come down one year we might make it <laughs> um, I think the problem is obviously a few of them have passed away mm. um, I think there's one of them that doesn't want anything to do with Father Ted whatsoever so they'll never come um, Ardlo Hanlon's always quite busy filming and things like that every time we've asked him Graham Norton <laughs> Um, Graham Norton is what we were thinking about but he's like a megastar now yeah. isn't he so it's like, he's a listener <laughs> um, Graham Linehan maybe we could get him to come around yeah. I don't know yeah. we'll see no, I was here for it last year and I just loved it it was such a great atmosphere uh, it's just a yeah. funny day you know so you know the, uh, the dancing priests and lovely ladies it's, uh, it's a good night <laughs> so, when, so yeah. when is your big your sort of big next event is it will it be the bank holiday uh, big next event God we haven't like Got anything it? really Booked in yet I think we're meeting In the next couple of weeks To try and um, sort this out Finally The next big thing Will be the Vegan beer festival At the end of July Is the next big thing I can think of uh, Saturday 28th of July In association with Fat Gay Vegan Who's like a kind of Social media sensation He's got Ridiculous quantities Of followers on Instagram And stuff like that um, We've worked with him a lot In the past Doing uh, the vegan beer festivals That he curates And manages around the country so this will be the first time there's one in Coventry um, and I'm really looking forward to that day we've got um, do you know Renegade West Berkshire Brewery they're yeah, coming yes. down yeah, yeah, to yeah. pour their beers Neon Raptor are coming down to pour their beers we're going to be showcasing Glasshouse's beers from Birmingham um, and Free Hills from Northampton because I don't think they've been in Coventry yet so as well as kind of we'll have a bunch of awesome guest beers and that on the board and it's not confirmed but if the two street food traders we've got coming from London comes off then it's going to be awesome because they're like two of the best vegan um, food traders in the country so we can get them up here as well imagine like uh, for, for the first time ever this will be a ticketed area the tap house that day right. um, and there'll be breweries set up here dispensing their beers as well as the normal bar um, and then um, at about 8 o'clock in the evening this will just turn into a big after party and we'll be having karaoke and stuff and live band and things going on but during the and day the it's in the diary it's in yeah. the box the box at Fargo Village will be like an extra bar oh, as well as karaoke all day as well as all oh, the street food traders so over there so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to that day it's going to be a lot of fun adding it to the calendar cool stuff but yeah, yeah. If, if we get the two vegan street food people in that that I think are about 99% confirmed and I'm just going to stuff myself that day. Cool. It's going to be amazing. Uh, just skip to the last one, we've covered the other bits. Um, well, we have, yeah, we sort of covered that a little bit Podcast in terms of social media. I mean, how, how important do you think that is for, for a modern brewery? Is it, is it you know, a place for it? Because obviously you guys are busy on it, pretty busy. Um, social media, yeah, it can be very time-consuming. Um, it's interesting what you said that you think we do social media well. Thank you. I think we're terrible <laughs> at it. But it's like, it's it's one of those things you kind of, of do when you have time. <laughs> yeah, Carl, Carl's fantastic. He's got a good profile on Twitter. Um, we, I mean, social media is a great tool. It's a good way to grow your business and get information about your business out there without having to pay for traditional advertising Um, and they're very good visually things like Instagram and Facebook are for getting information to people Um, the one area where it's getting more and more difficult to use social media is things like event planning and management because Facebook are making it literally useless for that kind of thing Um, this interested button is the worst thing in the creation of (laughs) kind of social media history because you never know if anyone's actually going to come to an event or not because everyone's just interested all yeah. the time yeah. um, so things like that are kind of steps back backward I think that make it more difficult to manage your business um, but we, we do what we can we engage with customers as directly as we can with the kind of staffing and time constraints that we have um, it's vitally important for a brewery to be on social media and talking to people but 
I don't understand how breweries can afford to have like a person that just does social media. Or so. Yeah. I'm guessing like you, when you get to a certain size, you can afford it. But yeah, it, it does shock me sometimes how many breweries have a designated person who is on the payroll just to do social media. That's right. I mean, it's shocking. Yeah, your Beaver, Beaver Town is the one that came yeah, to mind. Yeah. My numbers had yeah. somebody just doing media and events. It's always that kind of name of, of, of kind of job role or whatever. But mm. yeah, like you say, it seems a bit frivolous to have somebody doing that pretty much all the time. I think it's good in terms of your customer engagement, but yeah, I guess just because the scale we're at and you know, we can barely even afford to have a decent staffing for the brewery, let alone have a kind of social media person on the payroll, it just boggles your mind the quantity of beer they must be producing and selling in order to be able to afford that. Yeah. Um, it's quite eye opening, really. Yeah. Um, so, and to, to kind of close down, really, um, the fin- one final question from us, uh, which is a bit of a crystal ball kind of thing, really. But wh- where do you see Twisted Barrel in sort of three, four, five years' time? What, what are your aspirations? Um, my aspirations are to grow to capacity in our new unit. Um, so we'll be working hard at that. Um, we should be able to grow the team slightly. Um, so that everyone's kind of working life is a little bit more pleasant than it is at the moment. It's quite full on at the moment. It's really, really hard work. Um, and the people we've got are fantastic. You know, they'll kind of work so hard for the business and they're just, they're re- they make us. And I want to be able to have the kind of funding to be allowing our staff to go and get if it's the bar staff go and get proper citroni however you say it training i want all of our brewing staff to be able to go and study ibd um so i just want to be able to invest back in our staff in their training in their qualifications in their education in, in their experience as well that's what i'm more passionate about than anything else so i can't wait until we're at that point where we can just start investing back in the people that have helped us get here um, in terms of that, making quality, consistent beer across a broad range um, and finally being able to get kind of the tap house where we want it to be because we're still a little bit in limbo at the moment in terms of finalising the place. So once all that's happened and we've got a kind of vibrant, fun space where there's a lot of different events going on that we can plough all of the kind of um, the excess kind of money we're generating back into our staff um, and just have a kind of just have proof that the business model works and that it's kind of a healthy working environment for everybody and that um, some of the directors as well can get more involved in the business too and hopefully come in and be able to work for the business because that's always been a long-term aim of ours to be able to um, support um, the kind of three or four people that started it and they would love to work in the business day-to-day but at the moment it can't sustain it so um, just trying to have that kind of big old family but a well-trained family would be yeah. the uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the place we'd like to get to really yeah oh cool yeah, stuff sounds good okie dokie right well that that rounds off the uh, inquisition um, <laughs> thanks thanks for joining us on the yeah, podcast thanks for cheers, appreciate cheers. it yeah. real real uh, real cool kind of uh, episode uh, first kind of guest interview this time yeah. so uh, that's, that's been brilliant good. so it's been really good so to all our listeners um, hope you've enjoyed this one and um, thanks for listening hit and that subscribe button the, yeah hit the subscribe button on iTunes because then it'll just <laughs> drop onto your iPhone or other device uh, automatically yeah and um, and yeah follow us on Twitter um, at beers underscore frontiers and all the other social medias uh, we've got a Facebook page up and running now although not a great deal on it but that's uh, <laughs> we're looking to develop that you know so um, interested yeah yeah exactly so um, yeah um, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode cheers guys cheers, cheers guys cheers. Cheers.